Welcome to the All Central Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Larry Kirk. I'm joined today with Pastor Jonathan Prothero to my left here and also uh, to, again, giants in the faith that we just love them tremendously. These two incredible men of God, uh, they call him P3, which is Pastor Peter Prothero. Thank you for joining us today again, and uh, and also just a friend of the house and uh, someone that Central has loved since 2005. You've been with yeah. us, uh, Pastor Shane Willard. So good to have you oh, guys. That's awesome. Come on. Um, in the past, Pastor Jay, we've talked about anxiety, and uh, we unpacked that with Tony McCusker, who uh, is a clinical psychologist with and deals with uh, deals with this with with kids a, mm. a lot kids, kids. And, and people with PTSD in particular, yep. like high oh, trauma. Wow. Yeah. High trauma uh, situations. And so we unpacked it, but, but we want to do a little bit more today on this because this is a topic that continues to grow in our culture. Um, when it comes to anxiety with people dealing with anxiety and there's multiple, multiple facets of that, that uh, people deal with and uh, panic attacks and different things. But, but let's, let's start to unpack that today a little bit. Okay. So, well, so, so let's talk about let's talk about the Jesus uh, point of view, and then and then I think we could bring in Paul's point of view with it. Um, and just as a disclaimer, a, a, a professional psychologist who has insights clinically around certain things like that is very valuable. We'll come mm-hmm. at it from more theological and then application that yeah. way, yeah. and it won't yep. be an either or. It's yeah. both and. Absolutely. Well, just as you dive into that, sorry mm-hmm. to interrupt you, but can you just what is anxiety and and how does it differentiate from worry? Okay, so so in the scripture, um, and I think this is really profound insight from the Bible writers. The word used for the word translated worry or anxiety is actually the Greek word merimnao, which is to be somewhere else mm-hmm. or to be split. So it's to make it. It's a failure to be fully present. So, so sometimes people say, "Well, I don't worry about stuff." Yeah, but okay, you're not connecting with the physical symptoms of worry or panic, mm. but you're never fully present where you are. So you're here, but in your head, you're actually there. And then when you're there, you worry about what you missed here because your head was actually there. And in both cases, you're robbed mm. of the divine opportunity to be transformed or impact your world or whatever in the place you're in. And so for the, from the Jesus teachings, um, where he saw the world, he saw this opportunity that is radical and invited people to say yes to it, which is um, be fully present. And he uses some pretty radical, like give no thought about tomorrow. And of course, you know, people who think dichotomously, they'll go, but he also said count the cost, which yeah. literally, it's, okay, both two things can be true at the same time. It is smart to count the cost, but it can also be possible that you can discipline yourself with such profound trust that I, I'm i fully present here without giving energy and worry and anxieties to something there. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he uses it um, in this parable about good-hearted, essentially three-fourths of the parable is why good-hearted people don't experience the fullness of transformation that is offered by God. And he says, so think about it this way. Think about your heart as a field. So in parabolic literature, someone's heart is often metaphorically referred to as a field. And he said there's four kinds of ground. And again, in Western world, we're like, what kind of ground are you? Are you hard? Are you good? Are you right? And the truth of it is we're all, all of it, depending on the topic. And he says, so so the seed of the word of God gets put in, 
and three of the four kinds of ground actually receive it. Um, uh, the only one that doesn't is this is the hard soil. Like I'm not hearing that, but uh, there's good ground which we won't be covering today. We'll talk about that in a second. But then he he says there's stony ground which is kind of shallow. But the the one that is pertinent to today's discussion is, he said there is a kind of ground that is fully receptive to everything God has. Like you could say it fully surrendered, teachable, um, um, the kind of people who continually say their next yes. Um, and he says, when you see that and you don't see the transformation you're expecting, it's normally the thorns. Mm. And the thorns are the worries of this life mm-hmm. and the deceitfulness of wealth, mm. which in Hebrew is like saying it's a failure to be here and a failure to be now. So the worries of this life is I'm receptive, but my head's somewhere else. Mm. The deceitfulness of wealth is this idea that if I'm not okay today, there's a magic amount of money that will make me be okay. And and so today we have people worth $150 billion who are still going to work every day trying to make 200. Well, unless they have a huge why, that's kind of, that's, it's kind of ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. if, if, um, the social studies on this is pretty clear um, that if you make $60,000 a year as a family, um, that from 20000 to 60000 um, there is a marked increase in happiness because of necessities being more readily available. Yeah. But from 60000 to $60 million, there's no marked increase in happiness. Mm. Um, and so Jesus points this out. He says, if you put too much faith in external things to decrease your feelings of lack, it chokes out the transformation you're seeking and the worries of this life. And so this podcast is all about that first one. It's, and actually, they're tied together. The deceitfulness of wealth causes anxiety mm-hmm. because we're here <clears throat> saying yes to God, being authentic, but in our mind, we're thinking, how can we make more? How can we do this? Right. And so they're they're intricately tied together and and I'll, I'll let I'll let Pete speak to Paul's thought about this. I mean, I think about several places, but specifically Philippians four. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that's great. I, I, it, just hearing you say that makes me. This is maybe this is tangential, but it makes me think of the whole discipline of Sabbath, which is an intentional disconnection, yeah, from from work from. Mm. from everything in order to uh, to appreciate, really. Because one of the questions I ask myself when God created things and he, he created the Sabbath day, you know, God's not tired. So what's that all about? Mm. And, and the only thing I could come up with was his, his comment, it's very good. In other words, he's looking at it the way an artist would look at a masterpiece. Mm. And he's saying, this is good, this is good. Mm. And it's appreciation. Mm. And so, you know, this sort of whole idea of worship and praise is, mm. is very deeply rooted, I think, in the appreciation things. Like, mm. And the awe of it and the wonder of it and everything like that. And the therapeutic, the therapeutic effects of Sabbath, like <clears throat> how you just invigorated something, like how therapeutic and healthy is it to have a regular ritual to remind you that the world goes on without your impact in it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to take yourself. Like, think about the people you know who can never put that down. Yeah. Who could never take 24 hours and not check their email. Yeah. 
who could never take 25, like, so in our world, I, I really tried discipline myself on this. We're both content creators. So I try to study and write two hours every day. Um, but then I have one day that I do no writing, no studying, mm. no things that I normally do. Um, and it's a very, it's a very healthy um, sort of reminder that God's the source and without all of your efforts, somehow you'd still be okay. And psychologically, what that does for anxiety can't be overstated, I don't know. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. Thera it is therapeutic. Mm. And, and to build that in, and not to be legalistic about it, but just, you know, because you and I are often busy on weekends. Oh. <clears throat> but then we take another day where we just build it in. And for me, the, the therapy is... I'm letting go of all the stuff that I need to let go and 24 it'll still be there in 24 hours. Right. And my my pastor Clark Taylor gave an insight on this once and I do not know if he was right about this, but I thought it was something that was for him profoundly thought through. He he was a workaholic. He worked 18 hours a day. You know, he was a cattleman had a had a piece of property that was 70 miles long by 30 miles wide, which in America, that's Connecticut, right? Um, <laughs> like it's, it, it's, it's unbelievable. Like it's, it's, um, I mean, that's, that's wow. from Heathrow to Milton Keynes and then squared off. I mean, and, and then he became a pastor in that work and, um, he ended up needing a heart transplant and, um, and so he ended up being in the hospital for like, a, seriously, like a year and a half, something, cause he had cardiomyopathy then they had to get on the right. And, and um, and so I was visiting with him one time and we were just chatting through and he had listened to something I said about Sabbath and he said, you know, cause you know, the way they were raised was that's old Testament. No, mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. And you know, he, he is an authentically great man who is a fully devoted follower of Jesus, but he was just thinking it through. And he said, I wonder if all the Sabbaths that I refused to take either by intention or just didn't think about it. I wonder if now my body is taking them back. Yeah, I, I believe that that kind of thing happens. Wow. Mm. You know, in the Old Testament, there's, there's this story of a guy who's picking up sticks on the Sabbath and he gets stoned to death, you know, which is pretty brutal if you think about it. Yes. yes. And I, you know, and I, I try to sort of look at everything through a new covenant lens and say, is there anything redemptive I can find in there? And, and the, uh, the thing I came up with, which maybe this, I don't know, I'm throwing it out there. It was like God was saying, you keep doing that and you're going to have a really slow death because of the impact it's going to have on you physically, mm. psychologically, emotionally, relationally. Wow. I'll kill you now and we'll get it over with. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like a mercy. It's like you will not like what that produces later on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes the Old Testament, we sort of think of it as brutal. I think sometimes there's a mercy in it that we, that, that we miss. Yeah. But it's, the, it's this notion that, that God wants us to do life well. And we're not built to carry yeah. anxiety. We're not built that way. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, "Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden." Yeah, I mean that language. Some translations say, "You know, weary, harassed," but mm. but but labor heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yeah. You know, I will give you Sabbath. Mm. I will give you, yeah. you know, that yeah. 
take my yoke upon you, learn of me. I'm meek and lowly of heart. So there's a learning process in it. Mm. There's learning how to live lightly, yeah. learning yeah. how to live in a rhythm. I think Eugene Peterson calls it, learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace, mm -hmm. which is a liberal translation, but I, I really like it. I really yeah. like what he's trying to say there. And you will find rest for your souls. Just think about it communally too. Yeah. Like you're talking a lot of it in, in, in about what it does to us individually, but in 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 an ancient agricultural society, um, where where you you have your agriculture, you have your tanners, your shoemakers, your bread merchants, whatever. Well, if we all take a day off, awesome. But if you the one guy who refuses to do that, well, now I've got to open my shop, and you've got, and so. It yeah. then it then pervades through an entire culture that then gets driven by the lie of the sacred object that there's just this deceitfulness of wealth out there yeah. um, that if we just keep chasing it and just keep doing it yeah. um, that somehow that's where wholeness is found yeah and um, yeah I, I I didn't think about putting Sabbath as a until you said it which was profound uh, around yeah. you know actually. It's a pretty effective therapy for yeah, and whilst it is in the law in Exodus twenty, it's it, it, it's in creation. It's mm -hmm. a creation ordinance, if you like. Mm -hmm. So so some it's somehow built into the rhythm of how the world works and how we're wired to work. Mm -hmm. And then just coming back to Philippians four, you know, Paul says, "Rejoice in the Lord always." And again, I say, rejoice. Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Mm -hmm. And the peace of God will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus our Lord. And there's just so much in there that, that a lot that's mm. really helpful. You know, be anxious for nothing. In other words, there's no arena of life where the peace of God and the presence of God does not want to invade right. and yes. help us. No, there's absolutely no arena. That's what I think Paul means when he mm. says, "Be anxious for nothing." It's right. Just, God got the whole realm covered, and it begins with rejoicing, you know. And I'm, I, I said to Shane earlier before we were online that that it's amazing to me. Paul has an amanuensis. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's basically a, a scribe who's he's he's dictating to. And can you imagine, you know, the the guy's writing. Paul says, oh, <clears throat> "Okay, so rejoice in the Lord always." And the guy goes, "Yeah, got it. Let's do it again. Write it." Again, I say rejoice. Yeah, you just said it. Yeah, no, I want you to write it again. And it's like, wow, you know, I'm just trying to imagine the moment <laughs> yeah. where Paul says, people are going to read this, but I really want them to get this. Mm -hmm. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So that the disposition for coming in prayer and coming to God to deal with anxiety um, or whatever is concerning you, let's say that, um, is this disposition, disposition of rejoicing where I believe God can actually deal with this. Right. I'm, I'm actually in a relationship with a father who loves me, who's working out his redemptive plan in the world. Mm. I'm part of that plan, mm. and I'm rejoicing that I'm part of the triumphal procession of Christ Jesus in the world. Yeah. Uh, and, and I begin from that posture that there's good stuff happening even though I'm dealing with stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because right. a lot of people's anxieties is valid. You you might say it's very yeah. valid. Some people, you know, you're, you're worried about that. Mm -hmm. 
I would be too. Yeah. Um, and that's fair enough to say, but but that that rejoice in the Lord always, it's it's like Paul saying, there's there's an even more fundamental truth. I'm not discounting your worry, but I'm just telling you that there is a greater perspective here. Yes, and it, and, oh, sorry. Yeah, and it's and it's one driven by joy. Last mm. week we talked about that proverb in the Talmud, which is, you know, that, that you'll be held to account on the day of judgment for all the permissible things you could have enjoyed but chose not to participate in. And and I love that because it's God's permission to say enter into joy, mm -hmm. yeah. enter into the to the fun, to the yeah. to the adventure of life. It's not only about worry. Yeah, yeah seeing I, seeing God at work in in everything we're doing. Mm. That there's not the secular sacred. It's like wait a minute, hang on. Like we were at a baseball game, and because we were there and acting in love and compassion and kindness and fun, the presence of God was there with mm. us and. Finding that there's a there's a, a metaphor that people have told me they find really helpful around this, uh, particularly with Sabbath creation and rejoicing, and that is um, there's a six and one rhythm built into creation, and so people tend to con they tend to tie two words together. I struggle with depression and anxiety. You hear it all the time. I struggle with anxiety and depression, right? And so um, think of it. What if we thought of our life as a song, right? And so. I'm not a musician, you are, but uh, music is made up of notes and rests. And mm. so what we, what we tend, could you imagine a song where the musicians just ignored the rests, <laughs> right? So they're playing the song, it's in the right key, yeah. it's in the right rhythm, but we're going to ignore all the rests, mm. right? Well, it's kind of like, like, like if you have the best guitar player and the best piano player and the best bass player, but if the drummer's off, it butchers the song, right? All it takes is the drummer to be off a 16th of a beat. And you just got to kind of start over. And I think that's what happens in our lives is when we struggle, our first question is, what am I doing wrong? Which in this metaphor is, am I playing my life in the wrong key? Am I playing the wrong notes? And that's certainly a valid question to ask. But what if the better question is, is, wait a minute, before I ask that, is, it's just my drum is is my rhythm off. Yes. Am I ignoring the rest? And 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 that has two sides to it. A song that ignores all the rests sounds chaotic. I think the musical term is a crash bang where they, you know, everybody's just you know, and you're transitioning for 8 seconds to another song. Uh it works, but if somebody did a crash bang for 2 minutes, it would be hard to hear. Mm. But on the other side, a song with not enough notes, too much rests. Mm -hmm. Like we've all we've heard, we've all heard songs, particularly worship songs, and we're like, get to the right. <laughs> and so there's two ways. There, there's two ditches to avoid. One ditch is too many notes and ignore all the rest. The other ditch is too much rest and not enough not mm -hmm. enough music. And so in one sense, some people go, well, I'm depressed. And look, you. I take that seriously. You need to seek the services of a competent professional. Sometimes the answer is a medical answer, but sometimes it's when you really look at your life, yeah. there's just not enough music. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's just not enough notes, man. Right, right. Like there's not enough purpose and mission and right, passion. Right. And then other people, yeah. it's like, look, there's not enough rest. Yeah. Good music is a perfect mix of notes and rests yeah. and and that's a great which point. is back to that mm. rhythm rhythm yeah. of grace you yeah. know, it begins the with rhythms of yeah grace. i love yeah. that yeah going yeah. through what i went through that the best thing best advice you ever gave me shane was you've got to get your natural world in order 
before you can do anything else. Yeah, sure. you, you can't fix this, this, and this until you have rhythm, in yeah, other words, right. till you have cadence mm, yeah. and, and momentum behind that. Correct. Um, and that's powerful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Jordan Peterson, he, you know, I, I remember one time he was talking to people who were just, there was so much anxiety in their world that they, were, that they had got into a place of complete inertia. And he said, look, just begin by making your bed and tidying your room. Because right. that'll give you a little dopamine right, right. buzz right there. Yeah. But it's it's the idea, start where you can. Yeah, mm-hmm. where you can. He even said with some clients that was too much. We came back a week later, did you clean your room, make your bed? Wow. One day this week, I couldn't do that. He said, wow. okay, we'll start with a drawer. One drawer in your bedroom. We're just going to organize that one yeah. drawer. Mm-hmm. Can, can we accomplish that? Yeah. <laughs> and you go away a week, but it's like, to your point, start with what you can accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. But most things. people don't rest well. You know what I mean? Like oh, on your a, day off, it's like I'm resting, but did you though? You didn't take a second to breathe. Or they get headaches. So they... they it's uh, like withdrawal. Yeah, because there's no cortisol. So the cortisol's gone and they actually feel depressed and they're like, I hate this day off stuff. Like, okay. <laughs> and, or they define the day off horribly. Like I have to sit around and do nothing mm. versus yeah. I need to purposely engage in things that give me joy without accomplishing Yes. My goals. Yes. Like, so, so for me, golf, you yeah. know, um, actually, Pete and I are kind of similar with this. Like, when I get a writer block where I can't, I, I've just stuck to go watch a good movie. Yeah. Mm. And let my brain engage in fiction. Yes. Yeah. Kind of yeah. reset some things for me. It's so fascinating you said that. I think it was actually Jordan Peterson that said anxiety is the worst use of your imagination. <laughs> and the and the best use and the best use of your imagination is creativity, oh, and, right. and and I, it kind of ties in with what you were talking about. This idea of when you, when you're anxious or you're tired or something like that, to to find something that can then begin to stimulate creativity again, mm. and to allow that to flow out of your life. Mm. Just going back to this Philippians four thing, you know, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to made known to God, and the God of peace will umpire. It's, it's actually that soldier term, like like the Roman soldiers. We're on guard. You've got something on guard that's actually protecting you. But just this, let your request be made known to God, you know, with thanksgiving. Just that transactional moment. I, I know in the past, I, I used to feel guilty for feeling anxious. I used to, oh, I sh- <laughs> you know, I shouldn't be anxious. But, but actually to own, you can't deal with the anxiety that you don't own. You, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. Sometimes you meet people, you know, so, they look at you and say, yeah, yeah, I'm not anxious, and they're wired like a tightrope, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't think so, you know. Uh, learning to own it, and then, like you say, you hear a loved one's got cancer, you know, wow, there's an anxiety-producing moment. Uh, you learn, you know, like for me, I live by traveling as you do. Mm. COVID-19 hits. It's like no income month one, no income month two. And it's like that was an anxiety-producing mm. moment. Yes. But, but I remember coming to a place of prayer and, and, and saying to the Lord, you know, what is the one act of obedience I could do now in this situation that would release your blessing? Mm. Because Paul writes when he's in prison, he says, even though I'm bound in chains, suffer, and I'm afflicted, bound in chains, the word of God is not bound. Mm. So I thought to myself, you know, what a great perspective that is. I'm mm. limited, but God's not. Mm. So how, how can I cooperate with him in my limited situation to release myself from this frustration? And we get the prison letters. Mm. 
because God stuck him in there. It's like he wanted to be doing this stuff, and God says, no, you're going to be there. So he, he accepted it, and he wrote the most marvelous. Like, we wouldn't have the book of Philippians, which is actually the word joy is mentioned in, and rejoicing is mentioned more in Philippians than any other New Testament book. Right. It's, it's astonishing. Mm. But just this, there has to be some transaction where we, we acknowledge the anxiety, and then we say, God, I don't want to live carrying this. I want to give it to you. I think First Peter 5 says, casting all your care upon him mm. because he cares for you. Mm. Uh, and, and just helping people make that transaction through prayer, with words. Mm. Um, I, 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 yeah, it's something that I've tried to practice in my own life and encourage people to do. But it seems to me some people like to pray and then they... It's like they give it and then they pick it up again. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm certainly guilty of that. Like yeah. I, I, I've... Um, I'm a have a master's degree in clinical psychology, I have two theology degrees, and when we talk like this, we're talking in ideals and things that we aspire to. None of us are perfect, you know. You know, with this, I, but you know, I've I've had my own struggles with probably clinical levels of you know anxiety. And some of it was my own doing, um, and some of it's just. I mean, I remember I remember one time that I, you know, I didn't have an anxiety attack, but I just got certainly incredibly aware of something that I wasn't aware of before. And it made me incredibly anxious. I was, I was denied a mortgage on a personal home with a significant down payment. And the reason was that too much of my income was dependent on the church. And because I wasn't employed by a church where there's a level of protection, I was kind of this conference speaker that goes around. And so the mortgage underwriter speaking to me said, We're, we've got to deny you here. Mm. And I said, tell me why. They said, because you're one rumor away from losing your entire life. It doesn't even... <laughs> you, well, you weren't even thinking that. that I know. Yeah. I, never, I never really had that thought Holy before. Yeah. And I, I said, what? They said, you are one wow. rumor. It doesn't have to be true for the entire church to cancel you. And because too much of your income is tied up in something where a rumor can ruin it, we're not willing to take the risk on you. Wow. So my mom, who works in finance, auto finance, but works in it, I called her and I said, is it legal? Is it legal for them? With I had a significant down payment. It wasn't like I couldn't afford it. And I said, is it legal for them? Is that not prejudicial lending? Mm. And she said, not in your situation. And I said, tell me about that. She said, it is on the actuarial risk table that we are allowed to make different rules for people who derive too much of their income from the church because church cruelty is actually on the actuarial risk table. You're kidding. No. What? And I said, <laughs> I, I, know that. I said, I said, tell, I said, tell me about that, mom. She said, well, how many jobs on earth do you know where you can lose your income over an unsubstantiated rumor? And I said, there's a few. She said, she said, politicians. Mm. I said, right. She said, preachers. I said, right. She said, keep going. Right. <laughs> and I'm going. And I was, I suddenly became aware of something that, and this wasn't like, oh, you know, the, it was, it was a bank. Mm. And man, it got in me, hey. Mm. And, and it really, it really affected me bad, actually, to be honest with you. Um, I ended up finding another bank who would do it, but they wanted me to bring another 15% down. 
for the same reason. Yeah. And I thought, well, like, you know, yeah. and so, and so it's, it's some of this, some of this stuff, like, but, but being that as it may. Well, it, 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 I mean, it's interesting there because you, you got through the hurdle of the bank and the mortgage and buying the house, but there's still the hurdle of the anxiety that created. Still, still not over it, probably. <laughs> like, if I, well, 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 okay, so, so Paul later goes, um, only, essentially, this is a gross caricature summary of the profundity of the end of chapter four, where he goes, <laughs> he goes, actually, if you could just only let helpful thoughts sit in your mind too long, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever things are true, just lovely, yeah. good report, right? And, um, and you know, the, the, the hurdle of the mortgage is one thing, but the hurdle of the truth, well, the, the hurdle of the potential harm based on something fairly innocuous. Mm. Um, yeah, it just, it, and man, I, I'll admit it to you guys, you're my friend, obviously this is being broadcast, but the, that it, it I let that thought land. Yeah. And it, and it, it did not help me. No. <laughs> like at all. And, and so it's a, um, it's, it's a thing where I have to do certain disciplines around breathing, um, telling myself the truth. They call it cognitive therapy or cognitive restructuring. And, um, and reminding myself that actually the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth will never produce what it promises. Mm-hmm. And so these are thoughts I have all the time um, that, that, that are hugely helpful. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you know, I hope it'll stick totally. It'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, there are certain things um, over, over years that you don't realize that uh, as you're carrying some anxious anxiousness about right you get there's sometimes you can sense it then it just comes out out of the blue and it's like where did that come from where did that come from and i think some of it is going back to what you guys talked about too earlier is the rhythm of life and stuff and because i found i found myself the same way um it it wasn't 2020 because the church we, we came through it just tremendously you know the church was so generous we we paid off our our building two and a half years before we should. It was just, you know, there was a lot to triumph, just to champion. But I didn't realize, um, and going into 2021, <clears throat> I thought I had a heart attack. And I remember telling you, I, we were on the phone talking about this, and I thought I had a heart Like, I was, I was having a heart attack or something. I'm, I'm, I'm driving. I'm at the gym, and all of a sudden, I, I start to sweat. And I'm like, what is this? You know, it's like, well, this can't be good. Am I not feeling, you know, is, is, am I getting sick or w- what's going on? And I remember getting in the truck and just driving down the road. And it's like, it's, it's in January and it's like two degrees out. And I'm got my head out the window just so it could cool me down. Cause I'm wow. just a sweat's pouring off of me. And, um, and just come to find out just so over a period of time, everything ch- checked out fine, but it, but it's just a, a panic attack and I have no idea where it came from. And then I started to realize in certain situations that feeling would start to rise up. One was on a plane, me and Pearl were going to Miami and one was on a plane. Like, and so, so then I thought I've got control issues. I've got, cause I can't control this situation, mm-hmm. you know? And I think I, I couldn't control what was happening in COVID. So that, that, you know, that affected me so much. I carried it all the way into 20, not realizing it. Right. And then it just caught up to me eventually. Yeah. And, and so a lot of that was steeped in 
and I think you have some things on that as well to talk about, but, but just, it was steeped probably a lot in, in just trying to control a situation. Yes. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down from me and you. And I think anybody watching that's honest, anybody watching this honest is like, I have a hundred percent trust in the almighty all the time, <laughs> every day. Yeah. You're, you have another issue, right? And, and, but the, it's called lying. It's, yeah, yeah. That's, being, that's being kind. Yeah. And, like, like it's, it's yeah. just being kind. I mean, like, yeah. you know, 2000 years ago, Jesus is going, okay, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth sabotage sure. everything. Still true. And, and so there, there, yeah. there's this idea Pete referred to um, um, as the presence of God or the peace mm. of God is a guard. Mm. And Paul, just before that, makes this point. He's like, um, okay, part of rejoicing is stopping and being aware that the Lord is near, not far. Mm. And, and, and then, of course, he, he's so good about this. Like, pa- Paul tends to been to, well, it doesn't matter if you believe that it matters what that belief produces so he says he says when you're aware that the lord is near the thing you should see here's the litmus test is is your gentleness being made known to all mm. and and so are they seeing this gentle calm like um like how many of us and we've all been guilty of this like we treated someone poorly and then when it came out, when, you know, when, when really things settled down, we're like, I'm so sorry, mm-hmm. I was just stressed or I was just anxious. Yeah. or So we, we allow, this is part of my issue with diagnosis or like, uh, it's like, it's like if a diagnosis is like some, somebody asked me a long time ago now, but like they said, um, how real are chemical imbalances? You know, and, and I said, depending on circumstance, incredibly mm-hmm. real, mm-hmm. but that doesn't justify horrendous behavior towards it. Like, right. uh, you know, you should put up with this because I have a chemical imbalance. Well, that's that's not true either. And so I think I, I think you know part of anxiety is Sabbath. Part of handling anxiety is rejoicing. Part of handling anxiety is telling yourself the truth and acknowledging it. Part of it is realizing mm-hmm. God wants to engage the brokenness with us and guard us. And and then that should allow us to kind of take a deep breath and go, hang on, in this chaotic moment, God is not in heaven watching it. He's actually a part of it with us. Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, when Jesus gives a sermon on the mountain, he says, you know, says things like consider the lilies of the field, you know, Solomon in all his glory is not right. Consider the birds of the air. Uh, and then he asks the question, are you of not more value than many, mm-hmm. you know, than them? And it seems to me like in that, in that sermon, in that talk, Jesus is trying to reframe our thinking by looking at creation right. and what's around us and the way it works, actually, in, a, in the most marvelous way. And, and, and he's, his sort of punchline is, are you not worth more? Are you not, are you not more valuable? And so I think part of the anxiety thing is, is how do we see ourselves and, and do we believe in a father who thinks we're valuable? Mm. And we'll actually take care of those things. And to take that one step further, because in the lilies, and the, he says they don't do anything to deserve it, no. but God does it because they're worth it. And so I think part of dealing with anxiety is dealing with the default thought that God will treat me how I deserve yeah. versus God will treat me how I'm worth. Mm. Yes. Right? Yeah. And that, I think that's good. amazing. Mm. And I think love is a function so just across the board. Love is a function by which we intentionally treat people as they are worth and not as they deserve. Yeah. And oh, folks, you need to 
write that one down. Yeah. Right. So, so what what would happen to yeah, my anxiety level brilliant. if I lost if I lost yeah. the conviction that I better I better get after it because God's going to treat me how I deserve, versus actually God doesn't treat people how they deserve. God treats people how they're worth. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, and Jesus Jesus, that, man, I me and you both we all of us have had moments where you think you know something, and then somebody gives you one thought. <laughs> that should you would think inv- invigorate one new possibility, but it actually invigorates a hundred new possibilities. So I, I was listening to two scholars. One scholar, they weren't debating. They were one scholar was interviewing the other, and hey, tell me your insight on this. And it just so happened that I was I was rewriting a sermon series that I do on the Lord's Prayer, and and, and I just saw on the title uh, we're going to talk about Lord's Prayer. And, and it was two PhD-level scholars. And this this one, the guy that's being interviewed, he said this, like, as commonly as I would be like, hey, how was that Orioles? I mean, it was just like, and he said, um, he said, so Jesus goes on to say, give us today um, our, daily, our daily bread. But of course, in Greek, the word is epiupsios, um, which is tomorrow. And I was like, so he said, so what he actually said was, give us today tomorrow's bread. And I thought, so I paused. Not that I didn't trust him. He had no reason to lie. But I thought, I got to see this. So I went to my Bible tool thing and looked up the original. Yeah. And it sure is. And even in Strong's Dictionary, Epiupsio, it says tomorrow. And so how that ever got translated daily, yeah. right? So he says, he, he says, mm. He says, so Jesus says, um, so when you pray, pray this way. My father who's as close to me as the air that I breathe, hallowed be your name. I commit my life to using that breath well. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is heaven. And give us today tomorrow's bread. In other words, give me a supply today that removes my fear of lack of supply tomorrow. That's brilliant. Um, that is brilliant. Um, like... Like what good does it, like if I give you one piece of bread as soon as you eat it you're worried about tomorrow, yeah. so for Jesus the cure for anxiety well one of, not not the cure but one of the one of the um, helpful remedies for anxiety was seeing a God that treats you as you are worth and not as you deserve, and He's not just interested in giving you your daily bread, but He's interested in giving you a supply today that will remove your fear of lack of supply tomorrow. Oh. So one of my prayers in my devotional time now is. Lord Jesus, would you give me the grace to see that the supply I have today is actually enough for tomorrow too and let that invade my emotions. Mm. Otherwise, the deceitfulness of wealth takes us on. Mm. And, and people need... It's so good, by the way, Shane. It's brilliant. Oh, I, I heard you teach that a little while ago mm. and I was like, let me research that. And then it happened on a podcast, different podcast where they mentioned it. And I thought, that's my research done. It's true. Yeah, it's that's what it says. Two people saying it. <laughs> Two pretty qualified people. Yeah, there. yeah. It was a PhD professor or whatever. But I was like, yeah, let's go with that. So that's brilliant. And But I want to maybe unpack this idea of worth and self-worth a little bit as well. So much of anxiety to rise from how we view ourselves. Mm-hmm. And fair to say in Western culture, so much of our worth comes out of what we're mm-hmm. able to produce. Mm-hmm. And and if I can't produce, and if I can't be proud of what I produce, then I'll buy it. 
and and then I can become proud of what I bought mm -hmm. and and tell the world and and I you know working with young people of course social media plays into this it's 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 such a big deal it's hard to even express how to talk about this social media and the effects that social media have on the minds of young people because social media is just a stream of people showing you what they produced or what they bought and and how valuable they are in society because of that and and of course just the the low-grade assumption that you think is built into the very fabric of nature and creation is if I can't produce and if I can't buy, I'm not worth anything. Mm -hmm. And and that's that's just becoming so prevalent, I find, within young people. You're worth something before you did or made anything. Yeah, it's a, it, yeah and it's actually worship. So you, you used the word three times. I was trying to count, probably mm -hmm. more. But it's, it's, it's what you, you're not worth it or it gives worth to you, right? And so mm -hmm. worship is just what you ascribe worth to. And so... The worship you see in Instagram reels and all of that around, hey, look at my new house, look at my new car. First of all, it's a lie, right? So somebody says, hey, look at my new ride. What they never say is, is look what I just did. I bought something I can't afford with money I don't have to impress people I don't like. I'm going to lose 50% of the value of this in three years while paying 8% interest. I'm going to be broke for years because of this stupid decision, right? Right. They don't ever post that. They just say, look at my new ride or look mm. at my new house. No one ever says, hey, I'm paying money every month for rooms I never walk in so that people I don't like will think I'm richer than I actually am. Right. So there's this, there's, there's this worship. There's this worship aspect to it. I, I love the way Peter Rollins says it. And let me explain. He says, church is the place you should go to avoid worship. And <laughs> please explain that. Yeah. So, so people tune back into all central podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and what he, what he means by that is, is he, it's I'm getting very, emails it, this it's week, a, Shane. It, no, it's actually very <laughs> profound. What he means by that is, is six days a week, you're inundated with worship songs. You should be buying a Honda. The V8 will make you feel better. Yeah. All these external yeah. objects that will solve your lack. Mm. Church. He says, church that presents God as just the next external object to fix your problem mm. is not differentiating itself in any way from the worship of social media that you see everywhere Oof. else. That's what he meant by that. Yeah. He didn't mean we should not worship God or ascribe worth to God. Yeah. He meant we shouldn't visualize God as just the next external thing that fixes what we think is wrong with us. Mm. Um, that if we do Oof. that... Oh man! Um, it versus versus seeing God as an indwelling spirit that's engaging our entire chaos in order to wrap His creative energy and resurrection power around it to make a better story. That's better. And we're we're inundated all day, every day, with worship music. Worship this, and it's all about external objects that you can buy to make you feel more worth. Um, God is not that which is external and takes away our lack. God is that, is the person who engages our broken story and involves himself in it to remove the sting of it. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Because if you look at every encounter in, in, in the scripture, like, like the woman caught in adultery, what an anxiety she must have been living in that whole thing. And Jesus just communicates her value, mm. her worth. No, neither do I condemn you. Yeah. Where are your accusers? There are none. Neither do I condemn you. That's brilliant, eh? It's like, oh my God. Because all that, 
all that unresolved conflict or un, in her case, unresolved guilt, like all of us have had that, had that thing that, that thing in our past that we just hope no one ever knows. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, we all have things that the people back then know, but now it's 20 years removed. And do you tell the new people about that? And, and if they found out, would they think differently about you? And, um, it's just, a it's it, these, these things for her, it was unresolved guilt, unresolved conflict. Um, if you if you can't for Larry's testimony, like when you get a real revelation of I've done all I can do and I still can't control this situation, right? Mm-hmm. That 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 is in incredibly um, provoking. Um, the anxiety of comparing, like mm. for, yeah. for for men, it's a little different than women. Women compare looks, beauty. Uh, things like that men compare bank accounts and yeah. accomplishment and accomplishment and yeah, title sure. and yeah, status. and so and so all of all of those things rob us from what God's doing in this moment right mm. now and mm. to bring it back to Jesus again where he said this life and the deceitfulness of wealth you can be a good-hearted person fully surrendered saying your next yes and still miss the transformation that God is offering us by all, by engaging our broken story simply because we can't we can't fundamentally surrender to be fully present. Mm-hmm. Man. Man. Very good. It's good. Yeah. Yes, it was. It's excellent. Thanks for uh, uh, sharing that. That was, that was better than your dad's thing. It was, no. <laughs> 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 that was, so watch, that was good. Watch last week if you don't yeah. know what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> that was, uh, you know, um, when I think about that, I mean, is that a form of just just idol worship for us? Then, mm. then we that that's what we ascribe our correct and 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 our worship of of God should be the anti idol, and so yeah, and it's and it's a subtle thing like mm. like two things can make God an idol. One is that we see Him as an existent external being on a throne. That's Zeus, Apollo, Hermes, like there. The second thing is we see him as this external person who if if we do enough, act enough, sacrifice enough, worship enough, sing long enough, he might engage our story to help us. Again, again, witchcraft. Like, remember Jesus, um, just before the Lord's Prayer, he says, um, ah, don't. Don't be like the pagans who think they'll be heard because of their many words. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, I personally, there's three opinions on this, but I personally think he's referencing the Elijah and the prophets of Baal yeah. story where they're shouting. Like they essentially have a worship service. Um, that sounds a lot like a Pentecostal worship service. They, <laughs> they, they sing, <laughs> shout, dance, shout his name even louder. It says they prophesied to the greatness of his name. And then nine hours in, they start cutting themselves. If you remove the cutting, um, um, <laughs> essentially, essentially it's that. And so, so the question that I had asked myself as a Pentecostal believer is, What's the difference between Pentecostal worship and pagan witchcraft? And the answer is not much. 
in method. Mm. The issue is not method, it's motive. Mm-hmm. So in that story, they were trying to engage in things, in, and it says it exactly this way, they did these things in order to get their God to act on their behalf. Mm. So witchcraft is doing something to manipulate God to act. That's mm. witchcraft. Worship is when we are trying to align ourselves with what God is already up to fully present in yeah. our world. Yeah. And that's that's two different things. Otherwise So you're saying how much witchcraft is in the church? And only right? and like, only the worshiper I mean, would know because it's yeah, in their heart. Yeah. Right. Are you singing that song right. in order to get God to act? Yeah. Or are you singing that song to cancel the white noise of your week? and align yourself with what God's already up to in your world. Oof. And, and yeah. Yeah. those are two different things. Yeah. Man. Yeah. It's not method. All of it sure. looks like singing and shouting and yep. dancing. Yep. It's motive. Yeah. Well, C.S. Lewis once said, I do not pray in order to change God. I find that when I pray, he changes me. Yeah. That, exactly. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. That was excellent. Well, thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. Uh, make sure you hit the smash the like button and, and share um, yep. this content. Uh, let let the word get out. Listen, people pay for this kind of stuff, and uh, this comes to you for free, and we're mm-hmm. super excited to be able to do this for you. And, uh, again, thanks so much to uh, P3 and Pastor Shane for tuning in, and uh, we hope that in some way today this enriched your life. <laughs>